mission and operations coordinator here, which is a long title, but um, a lovely job to do. I love doing the job. Um, so I have a confession to make. In summer 1996, I was 18 years old. So to save you doing the maths, that makes me 45 now. So thank you to the, those of you who thought I didn't think he was that old. And uh, for those who thought I thought he was older, you have my forgiveness. You have my forgiveness. In 1996, in the summer of 96, Britpop was at its height. And Oasis were pretty much the biggest band in the world. They were taking the world by storm. And in the space of two weeks in July 96, the band from Manchester played a series of open-air concerts to a total of 400,000 people in the UK and Ireland. And me and two of my mates had tickets to go, and it was amazing. Two of the concerts were in a GAA stadium in Cork. It's called the Parky Cueve, or at least I think it is. I could never pronounce it properly. And, and we went down there. Uh, we, we loaded everything we had into a one-liter Volkswagen Polo and headed off to Cork with no idea if this car would actually get there or not. We loved Oasis. We loved all their music. And everybody had their favorites. But the top or near the top of everybody's list was the song Live Forever. And we wore that song out driving to Cork. We sang our heads off to every Oasis song all the way there. Live forever. Deep down inside, part of me believed at 18 years old that maybe just we could live forever. The excitement when we got to Cork was palpable. There were rumors of the band being sighted around the city. Everyone on the streets was wearing Oasis t-shirts. And there was people offering big money for spare tickets as you walked up and down the street. It was like the whole city was holding its breath in anticipation of what was going to happen. In many ways, the atmosphere in the passage that we read this morning in the little village of Capernaum was very similar to this. 2,000 years ago in Galilee, news of amazing events had spread throughout the region, spreading like wildfire. And people had started arriving in this little place from out of town. And they were staying with friends and rumors and stories were going around about sightings, and about things that were happening. And the whole place felt like it was holding its breath. And the name on everybody's lips was Jesus. Somebody would say, he teaches a whole new teaching. He teaches with a whole new authority. He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. He performs wonders such as this world has never seen before. All Capernaum was at fever pitch. And then the news broke. Jesus is back in town. When he was located at a house in the village, the whole town turned out and went to this house. And they filled it to capacity. And then they surrounded it so that nobody could get in or out and so Jesus is right in there, and he begins to preach. And we don't know what he was preaching, but we know that he was preaching about the kingdom of God, telling people to repent of their sins because the kingdom of God had come near. And he was talking from God's word about God's living word, about himself standing right in front of people. And the crowd was getting bigger and bigger. And just then, another group of people arrived, but within this group of people were four people who were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Verse four says, since they could not get to him, 
since they could not get to him uh, because of the crowd. So they, these guys arrived basically carrying this guy on the mat and they couldn't get to Jesus because the whole place was bunged. You might have expected that people in those days, you know, that they would have seen that this guy was paralyzed, that he was on a mat and he needed to get to the one who's the famous healer inside the house and get the healing. But they didn't move. They stood with their backs to the people and the guy on the mat couldn't get in. The population of Capernaum, Capernaum in those days was about 1,500 people. It was a village by our standards, and it was a fishing village. And in many ways, one small town is much like another, in that everybody knows everybody else's business, or at least they think they know everybody else's business. And what used to happen in those times was that people used to think that if you were sick, or if you had a physical ailment, it was probably because God was punishing you for something you'd done wrong. And so they were judging this person. They didn't really think very much of him and they didn't move to get out of the way. You know, people come to church for all sorts of reasons. Some are far from the Lord, but they're on a journey. And we need to make sure as believers and as people in the church that we're not blocking the way, that we're not standing with our backs turned, preventing people getting to the only one who can bring healing. Instead, we should seek to create pathways for people paved in faith with the handrails of truth and love. And we should encourage people to press on in. Not compromising the truth, but secure in faith that the Holy Spirit will actually work out the complications. It's fortunate on this day, in this passage, that the people who were carrying the man had faith. They weren't put off easily. When they couldn't get to the door, they found a ladder or a, status, a set of steps or something there that allowed them to get onto the roof of the house with this guy on the mat, which is no easy job to do. Once they were up there on the roof, it's kind of like a flat clay roof, they decided to start digging through it. And so they're digging through clay and twigs and sticks, and then they get down to these beams that are the supporting structure, and they start to break through. And inside, there's clay and dust raining down and twigs, all sorts of stuff coming down in. And Jesus is standing there. This is right above where Jesus is teaching. And he's interrupted by this, but there's no mention of him getting irritated or being upset by this. And so this little hole, which has appeared, begins to get wider and wider as these guys widen this out and pull more stuff away. And the whole meeting by the stage is at a standstill. Everybody's fixed their eyes on the roof to see what is going on up there. And then they can see through and they see there's a group of people up there and all of a sudden now the hole's quite big and they're lowering a person down through on the mat. The ceiling heights weren't that high, so they're actually probably just lowering it down through by hand. And so another group of people probably come and put their hands up and start to receive this person down in. Maybe Jesus was part of that group of people receiving the person down into the room, or maybe he was just standing, witnessing what was happening. But he was there, watching it unfold. And the passage says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. This was not what Jesus was expected to say. What did Jesus see? 
when he looked up through the roof and saw this all taking place? Well, Jesus saw faith, living faith, in these four people who were carrying this man and lowering him down through the roof. Genuine faith, not belief in a theory or understanding of a doctrine, but dependence and trust in the fact that getting this man to Jesus was the only way he was going to get healed. This was faith that produced action. Genuine faith in Jesus always produces action. It produces good works. It's not a result of good works. But genuine faith overflows and it brings transformation to the people around us. These people were fueled by the type of faith that makes ordinary people do extraordinary things. They weren't just talking a good game. They were walking it too. And Jesus also saw something else. He saw the faith of the paralyzed man. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus says to the man's son, your sins are forgiven. And only those that have faith in Jesus can be forgiven. And so this represents a whole new thing that Jesus was saying. Up until now, he'd been casting out demons. He'd been preaching with authority. He'd been healing the sick. But now he's forgiving sins. And so the religious teachers that were there take offense at this and become irate. Verse 6 says, Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can, give, who can forgive sin but God alone? Obviously they'd arrived early to the house to get these good seats. Or they'd muscled their way in. However they got there, what they're effectively saying is that Jesus is all talk. He's claiming to be something that he clearly isn't. And because what he's claiming to be is God, it's blasphemy. And blasphemy in those days, if proved, was an offense that led to being stoned to death. And so if Jesus is going to get out of this, he's going to have to do what everybody who talks the talk eventually has to do. He's going to need to walk the walk. Every eye was on Jesus after that statement. So he responds and he acts. And immediately he does another miracle. Verse 8 says, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up. Take your mat and walk. See, there was no way to prove that the paralyzed man had had his sins forgiven. There was no visible proof. Now, to be fair, there was no way to disprove it either. For the religious leaders in the passage, it came down to a matter of faith. They just didn't believe that Jesus had the power to forgive sin on earth. Sometimes we can be too hard on these guys. You know, they wanted to lead people rightly. They wanted to defend the truth. They wanted to defend the scriptures and make sure that people were treating them correctly. But somehow they got it wrong and that blinded them to what God was now doing in front of them. And we have to be careful not to fall into pride as we read about these guys. We too may struggle with faith 
to have faith. We might have difficulty believing that these events or the events that we read about in Scripture took place just as they're described. If we don't believe, it's not because we have evidence to disprove the events. It's most likely just because we didn't see them with our own eyes. But the people that day in the room were with God and he was going to prove his authority and he could have done that in a million and one ways. But the way that he did do it was compassionate and it was humble and it was gentle and the purpose of it was to lead people to himself. And so Jesus does the final miracle in the passage. And verse 10 says this. Jesus says to the religious leaders, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man took up his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we, will, we have never seen anything like this before. When the kingdom of God comes in a visible way with miraculous healing, it brings joy and it brings praise and it brings amazement and it brings glory to God. And people say, we've never seen anything like this before. It's not like anything else. It's not like anything else. We'd never seen anything like Oasis in Cork in 1996. They were on fire. 45,000 ecstatic people singing their hearts out to every word. But the truth is, no matter how good that night was, it ended like every night does. And it quickly became clear, clear soon afterwards that the pop mania that had broken out in the UK and Ireland at that time over those months, in a way that hadn't been seen since the Beatles really, it was, it was quite potent, but it became the high watermark of Britpop. It became the high watermark of Oasis. And soon after, both those things started their journey into relative obscurity. Everything we thought was so important turned out to just be an idea that had been honed and crafted by PR executives to motivate people to buy records and concert tickets and t-shirts and whatever else they could sell us. And it was never meant to last. We only find something in this world that will last when we enter the kingdom of God through the gates of faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is everything he says he is. Everything he promises comes true. Every promise he makes, he keeps. He's the rock on which we can build our lives in a world full of shifting sand. He knows each of us. He knows every hair on our heads. And what we need to know is that he also knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need more than we do. And so he looks at a person lying on a mat, a person who desperately needs physical healing. And he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And he does that because he's not just gonna heal him temporarily. He's not just gonna make him feel better. 
He's going to heal him forever. To achieve that forgiveness and to make it available for every single person who walks the earth, Jesus would effectively swap places with the man on the mat. The paralyzed man in the passage got up and walked away from the place of pain and affliction into a place of freedom and health. While Jesus voluntarily gave up his health and freedom to take up his place on the cross, the place of suffering. The man on the mat had four friends who were full of faith and who stayed with him and got him to Jesus. But Jesus would be abandoned by those he trusted, those he called friends. Everyone he counted as being faithful. Jesus' father healed the man on the mat as a sign of the coming of the kingdom of God. And yet as the ultimate sign of the coming of the kingdom of God, the father would turn away while the son was crushed. Jesus walked the walk all the way into death and he took our sin with him. And as he walked into that darkness, he paid our debt once and for all. And so when God raised him to life, it was as if he got up and he walked on and he walked through and he came out the far side and he broke a hole, just like the guys who broke a hole through the roof. And the light came in so that all who follow Jesus into that place in faith walk in light towards a new day. Jesus wants you to know from this passage that he has authority on earth to forgive sins he wants to walk with you through every single moment of this life he promises you will never ever walk alone and he invites you today to walk with him so i want to invite the band just to come up so a man called paul carter wrote an article where he said that healing is a sermon to a sick and dying world what he's saying there is that healing like what we've read about today builds our faith and reminds us that God's kingdom will come in all its fullness. Only Jesus knows what you're dealing with today. You might struggle with things that afflict you physically. You might struggle with things that you consume too much of, but you can't stop. Maybe you know that something you repeatedly look at online or somewhere else is wrong and it's doing you harm, but it feels like you're powerless to stop it. Jesus says today, walk with me. You're not alone. The kingdom of God is near. Or maybe you feel like you're facing something that's insurmountable, it's too big, and it paralyzes you with fear deep down inside. And you're afraid that you're not going to be able to deal with it if it comes in the way that it looks like it's going to. But Jesus says, walk with me today. You're not alone. The kingdom of God is near. Or maybe you want to fan into flame the gift of faith that God has given you. And you want to take more risks for Jesus to see that transformation come, to see him be glorified, to see others be transformed. But you feel timid. Many of us feel like that. Jesus says, walk with me today. You're not alone. 
I'm with you. The kingdom of God is near. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. And Lord, your call in our lives is to follow you and to walk with you. And we know in that, Lord, that you will walk with us every step of the way. You'll do what you've said you're going to do. That you've got power and strength available to help us cope. That at times, Lord, you do heal and we thank you for that. And we thank you that you do that because you're a compassionate, loving God that loves to give good gifts to your children. And we also thank you, Lord, that it builds our faith that your kingdom will come in all its fullness. Lord, help us to walk this walk with you. Increase our faith. And Lord, for those that need healing today, I pray that you would heal and you would pour out your spirit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.